Create in us clean hearts, O God, and renew a right spirit within us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Each week at Mass, and every time we pray the Lord's Prayer, we pray, lead us not into temptation, or the contemporary version, save us from the time of trial and deliver us from evil. These lines roll off our tongues as does the rest of the prayer, mostly without a lot of thought about the words and their meaning. But as we are at the beginning of Lent, as we confess the ways we have given in to temptation, sinned, fallen short, as we hear of the temptation of Adam and Eve, the temptation of Jesus in the desert, we have to ask, just what is it we're praying to be delivered from, saved from? What is temptation and trial? In this season, as many of us have given up things little and big that tempt us, some food or some drink, Facebook or Instagram, gossip or judgment. It makes sense to think about temptation as individual, personal to us, to have that second piece of cake or to connect with someone by gossiping about someone else or more serious, the temptation to take what is not ours because we're in financial trouble or to lie to cover our own behinds. Those are all temptations. Giving in to them falls somewhere on the spectrum of sinfulness. But frankly, that's not what's going on in the Garden of Eden as the crafty serpent misleads Adam and Eve nor is it what's happening in the desert as the tempter, the devil offers alluring options to a famished Jesus. No, what we face in these readings, what we face truly as we scan ourselves, our behavior, our conscience, our souls in this time of Lent is much, much larger. The Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, form the Ur story that tells us how we came to be, created in the image of God. It tells us what our place and purpose is to dwell in God's creation and care for it. And sadly, how we came to be so far from God, so far from feeling and acting in God's image and belovedness. Now, a caveat, as with other texts that have been used to harm and to hurt people, specific groups of people, I have to pause, as I did a couple weeks ago, and say that this is not about woman as temptress or the cause of original sin. It's not licensed to treat women as less nor more sinful than men. Again, thus ends the lesson. No, in this story, we learn how crafty temptation is as the serpent asks distorted questions, sowing doubt 
in Eve's mind. Did God say you shall not eat from any tree in the garden, he asks. Suddenly, we're engaged with temptation, trying to reason with it, explain things, as Eve says, no, no, we just can't eat from one tree. If we eat from that one, we're going to die. The serpent denies this. He gives a half-truth. You won't die. Now, our modern minds are thinking, what's the problem here? So they eat the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So what? After all, we live in a rational post-enlightenment age, an age that believes that we can and should discover and know everything about creation, the world, our souls, our psyches, that we can and should use the scalpels of our intellects to slice open whatever we want. But on this day, when we think about temptation, may I offer another way of thinking about the story. Here, the tempter causes the first people in God's likeness and image who have been given the free gift of life, a lush world in which to live, meaning and purpose, connection to God, and the tempter causes them to doubt God's goodness, to doubt God's word, God's love of them. The tempter invites them to put themselves in the place of God, setting themselves up as wise as God, as important as God, which, as we know, is idolatry. In a garden where all is theirs for the tending and taking, all their needs are supplied, only one thing off limit. The tempter sneakily lures them into taking that one thing, the one thing that is not a free gift. By putting themselves first in this way, forgetting their place and purpose, not working with but against God, they become utterly selfish and self-focused, suddenly aware of their nakedness, suddenly ashamed. And later, when God questions what they've done, they turn on each other. Adam blames Eve, and Eve blames the serpent. They don't die physically, but surely their relationship with God, creation, one another, has been deeply wounded. This is not temptation to one small sin, an extra piece of cake, a quick gossip, a burst of anger. No, this is a whole way of being our way of being. That fall represents our fall. That way represents our way. Fallen man, C.S. Lewis writes, is not simply an imperfect creature who needs improvement. He is a rebel who needs to lay down his arms. We are rebels who need to lay down our arms. We are fallen. 
tempted by the crafty one who bids us to put ourselves first before all others, before God. We are promised half-truths. You won't die if you take the one thing not given as a gift. Then we find our bodies live, but our souls are separated from God. Now, I'm not going to get into the whole theology of original sin. I'm not even going to tell you if I believe in it. But I think that we can all recognize that there is something wrong. Something has gone wrong. Something has gone wrong in our world as viruses speed across the planet and some tempt us to turn on one another during that time. Something has gone wrong as we damage God's creation. We can see our mess, but we cannot seem to change. Something has gone wrong as Christians and people of other faiths willingly give up their values, their morals, in order to garner political power. Something has gone wrong as we stare into screens and media that cause us to grow distant and then distrustful of one another. Something has gone wrong when a beloved man of God, seen as a saint, has it revealed that he's been sinning horribly his whole life. Something's gone wrong as we face illness and loss in our own lives, disappointment and betrayal. These are not one-offs, beloved. These are our condition. Recognized and captured in that first temptation, first fall in the garden, as Paul writes in his letter to the Romans, sin came into the world through one man. Those first people show us that we are powerless to resist the temptation to aggrandize ourselves, putting ourselves in the place of God, to ignore the gifts and instead grab what is not ours to have. If we are unable to resist if we're unable to fix ourselves, if we don't need just mere improvement, if we're rebels, what then? Well, the only hope is outside ourselves. It has to come from outside ourselves, from Christ who is tempted in every way as we are, Tempted to provide for himself by turning rocks into bread when famished. Tempted to question and test God by foolishly throwing himself from the heights and expecting God to swoop magically in. Tempted to turn away from God to worship a false idol in order to gain wealth and power. Tempted in every way as we are yet did not sin. Oh, temptation. Oh, sin ever-present, the desire to rely on ourselves, to test and question God, to turn our attention to whomever and whatever offers us power and prestige, which is just another way to rely 
on ourselves. We rebels cannot fix ourselves through small improvements, incremental changes, better plans, and more technology. No. We've got to lay down our arms and wave the white flag before the one who was tempted yet did not sin. The one who defeated sin and death on the cross, the one who offers abundance grace, whose obedience reverses our first disobedience. When we pray not to be led into temptation, to be saved from the time of trial, our prayers have already been answered for all time by the one who was led into temptation in the desert, by the one who was put to trial, but who, thanks be to God, is mighty to save. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.